This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan, and we are coming to you with a a special edition here over the All-Star break. Obviously, if you are a devoted listener of the Cubs-related podcast, you know we had an episode drop on Monday morning, and we have another for you today to fill the, the void left by there being no Chicago Cubs baseball over these few days, while Javi, KB, and Wilson are representing the Cubs in Cleveland. And on today's special edition, as, as I mentioned in the last episode, we are going to delve into a topic that we don't really touch on that much outside of kind of the the big names and the obvious storylines, and that is the Cubs minor league system. And we have a special guest here with us today, and, and this one is actually a long time coming, someone we've been talking to for a while uh, about coming on to the show, and, and you know that was just kind of based on our following of his Twitter account and the way that he engaged with uh, the readers and viewers on, on Twitter and stuff as it related to the conversation around Cubs prospects, and that is... Uh, a nice segue into his handle. It is at Cubs Prospects, and that is Brian Smith, who since we started talking to him is now the minor league writer at BleacherNation.com. So Brian, we're, we're, we're finally doing it. You're here on the podcast. We are talking minor league baseball with the Chicago Cubs. Well, Corey, thanks for having me. But, you know, I listened to Monday's episode this <laughs> afternoon, and Corey, oh Corey said, and I quote, I guess today's episode will be special. So he he damned me with faint praise in the previous episode. Wow. So, uh, yeah, getting um, called out um, a little bit right there, Corey. You know, Brian, if it was me, I would have said demonstratively that this was a special episode. But then, you know, that's Corey being Corey. I know. You I, guys I, I was know. going for super special. Yeah, I, I am very excited to have Brian here. Like I said, we've been, we've been kind of chatting in, in DMs on Twitter for a long time. But I, I think everybody that listens to this podcast knows that my my affinity does not lie much in, in minor league baseball at this point in my life. So I, I do have to... I guess I was just being reserved in my excitement, but I but we are very excited to have you here, Brian, and we're we're going to talk a, a little, you know, Cubs system, and and like I said in that last podcast, you know, we we usually go for about an hour, and we've got a series to preview and recap, and and certainly in a season like 2019. Plenty to talk about as it relates to the Major League Chicago Cubs, but with these few off days and Brendan and I, look, if we, we could have recorded a special edition where we talk more about how we don't like Daniel Descalso, but we we thought we would break it up a little bit and and give you something a little bit different. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna seize the opportunity here and go with something different. So. Brian, I, I think a good place to start, and, and I mentioned this to you, and, and I think our listeners know this, that, that I'm kind of coming at this from the perspective of I've got a, a surface-level knowledge of the Cubs system. I, I know the big names. I know their trajectory. I follow along, but I, I can't rile off some of their stat lines. I, I can't always give you a projection for when I think they're going to arrive at the major leagues and things like that, which I think is a position that Brendan can occupy. So we're coming at things from like a different different ends of the the knowledge spectrum here. Uh, but I, I just wanted to start with kind of a general question from from where I'm sitting. It, it seems as though in 2019, it has been a good start for this system across multiple levels. Some guys, you know, some names that I'm seeing very frequently, it sounds like progress is being made in a lot of positive ways. Is it fair for, for maybe a casual observer to say that the 2019 season so far has been a, a, a good and productive one for the system as a whole and, and that, you know, maybe people who aren't paying attention as, as deeper to this 
can be encouraged by a lot of what's going on? Yeah, I think the nice thing is the top prospects have started to take care of business. I think since sort of Ian Happ and Albert Almora got to the major leagues, the top of the system was really bad in 2017, 2018. It just the Cubs didn't have a, a top 100 prospect, it seemed like. And now I think they firmly have one. They probably have three or four. And pretty much everybody who's in that top six, top eight of the system has had a pretty good season. So that's uh, that's been nice to see after a couple of years where it looked pretty bleak. So, Brian, in 2018, it felt as if some of the, the big names, at least I was following, didn't necessarily take that productive step forward. And one name in particular is Aramis Aidman, who I feel as if going into 2018, there was more focus on him. 2018, he didn't necessarily live up. I don't even want to say live up. He didn't progress, I think, in, in many ways a lot of people thought he would have. But in 2019, I look around and I see generally the system as a whole taking productive steps. You have Miguel Maya taking productive steps, Brennan Davis, Nico Horner back from injury, Alzolai, etc. So is there any one particular reason why you think this year compared to 2018, you're seeing more names finally take those steps forward? I think they're just better players. I think Adaman and Jose Albertos and Oscar De La Cruz, they they were sort of the top of the system by default, but at the end of the day, they weren't particularly good prospects. Um, and we were just reaching and hoping more than anything else, where now, you know, Nico Horner, Brennan Davis, Miguel Amaya, these are legitimate prospects, more what we're accustomed to in the past. And and their success is just sort of what happens with top prospects as they start to mature. Well, so Brian, I, I want to, I think let, let's start with a couple of guys who we have already seen their impact or, you know, their presence be made on this MLB roster. And I, and I think those two names are obviously Adbert Alzali and Robel Garcia. Let, let, let's start with Alzali. And for, for someone that's been following along with his career and, you know, was obviously anticipating him finally getting that shot, what were your kind of main takeaways from his his few outings here at the major league level? Uh, what what anything that looked different? I know in the, in that first outing he was you know getting that changeup to work a little more that kind of seemed to be throwing some people for a loop. Like you know where did this come from? Can it be this effective? What, you know how is he going to use it going forward? And you know given that he's obviously sent back down prior to the All-Star break here, what do you see his role going forward for this team? And I think further, you know, there, there's a little bit of debate, like, do you want him to come up and be in the bullpen if there's not a starting spot available, maybe when Cole Hamels is healthy and ready to rejoin this rotation? Do you prefer, you know, he's got to be starting, it doesn't matter what level? Where do you see the, the, the kind of rest of the 2019 season for Adbert Alzali? I think at a certain point, the major league team, what the major league team needs has to win out, right? I mean, if this, if, if we're all about having the best 25 guys on the roster, I think Alzali is probably a better option than Brad Brock or Mm -hmm. even Tyler Chatwood. And, you know, hopefully at some point, um, he's trusted to do that, but I think it's worthwhile to have him work out some of the things he learned in Iowa for a couple weeks here and, and wait to see if, um, Wait to see what you have to do with that fifth rotation spot. Um, as for as what I saw in the majors, I mean, you nailed it, Corey. It was that changeup was was really surprising. I think I wrote in my preview before his first outing that I wouldn't be shocked if they just ditched the changeup and went fastball, <laughs> curveball in that first outing to, to keep things easy, and then they Boom. made me look stupid really quick. Yeah. So Brian, so you look at the changeup, you look at the curveball and the fastball. Again, the changeup. Where, at what point in his career did he start to develop that? Because, like you, I'm reading almost exclusively that that fastball curveball combination is going to carry Alzali. But that that changeup is pretty nasty, man. And the fact that he's going or he was going to that pitch so often suggests he has some comfort with it, which I think is encouraging for any young pitcher who's throwing three pitches with high frequency early on in their careers. Yeah, I thought his changeup was. A lot better last year in 2018. I thought that was probably the biggest story of his seven or eight starts, whatever it was, in AAA. Um, it was overall kind of a disappointing season for him, but I thought the changeup did make some progress. But this season, 
early in the year, the story was that curveball. I think Jason McLeod talked about him and Theo in the draft war room watching his start in New Orleans, which I watched that start too, and he threw like 60% curveballs, and they were <laughs> insane. Yeah. Um, and Brennan, you probably know better than me, but I think in the majors, I think he was showing like a 3,000 RPM spin rate, and it was – and it, it should – be pretty good but it just wasn't that impressive in the majors i thought his feel was pretty bad he left it up a lot yeah um, so it was i don't know it's kind of weird yeah his his rpms uh, around 3000 top five to ten percent in major league baseball for right-handed curveball so that's pretty pretty remarkable and the the trajectory of that curveball it almost looks like a slurvy type pitch where it doesn't have that 12 to 6 break. It's almost it's it's weird. It's almost like a slider action so to speak. And there were some instances, maybe I'm off base here, but I felt as if there was almost two types of those curveballs. One that is slower, one that's a little bit faster. Is that just me not seeing things properly or does he actually throw two types of different curveballs? I think that he started throwing a slider this year. I think he okay. he had the slow buildup in Arizona and spent a lot of time in the pitch lab, and I think that he started messing around with a slider. I saw it in one minor league start, I thought, for sure, um, but not really consistently. Um, so, yeah, we'll see, we'll see where that breaking ball goes, but for him to be any sort of successful as a starter in the long run, he's going to have to have way better feel for that and i think you will that's in my opinion that's his best pitch usually it just wasn't the case in in those three big league outings all right so moving to garcia then we obviously see robel come up he has that first start hits a homer he's a double away from the cycle in his first major league start gets the the cubs the only run uh in that game on sunday with a bomb and you know so i think you're 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 seeing that immediate impact and and we've obviously on this podcast been long kind of discussing if you're not getting production there you, you might as well reward a guy that is performing like this in the system you might as well take a shot that he can provide a little something different we 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 know about the k rate we've seen the k rate what do you think the the long-term viability here is? I know it's easy for people to kind of see these first couple games. He's hitting home runs. And, you know, I think the game on Sunday is going to stand out for him because he provides the only offense. So in this kind of area we're at with the, with the Major League Cubs, wondering what's going on with the offense on Sundays, why aren't they hitting Ivan Nova, for example, on Sunday? When you get that kind of instant injection, I think it's easy for people to run away with the idea like, oh, yeah, like we want Robel out there all the time. Screw these other guys. Like, let's just give him a shot. What What do you think like the, the, the viability of that is? At the very least, do you think that he can stick on this team for the rest of the year, even if it's just in a, in a bench kind of platoon cap- capacity? Do you think it's possible he just takes a stranglehold on that second base job? What's your like honest gut reaction to how it plays out for Garcia here I mean I think the fun thing about Robel is that we honestly have no idea what he could be I mean no anybody who says they have any opinion on his long-term viability I think is kidding themselves because (laughs) the guy was playing in Italy I mean he I think the Cubs first maybe saw him in the Netherlands in a European tournament last year and then they saw him in Arizona playing against the lowest rung of the minors. I mean, it's just one of the craziest stories I've seen in 20 years of following the minors. I I, I still can't even wrap my head around the fact that he's here and he's hitting home runs. So any, I, it's just wild. I, I don't really know where it goes. I would think that maybe, you know, David Bodie last year might be a, a decent proxy, but he's probably even going to be more extreme than that, where when they start finding these holes, and I think he'll have a similar hole with fastballs up, up high in the zone, that he'll get exploited quickly, but hopefully uh, hopefully he can give us you know, 5, 10 more homers before uh, we reach that point. What do you think about his defense, Brian? I, I, again, only in a few outings at second base, I wasn't particularly impressed his defense but I'm curious if that's just a byproduct of him being nervous and just you know only two games but where do you come at from his defense a lot of people very quickly when he started playing this season went to he's a negative defender and and it was it seemed so early that I hadn't quite gotten there with analyzing him and when I saw him 
it was kind of a mixed bag. It seemed like if he had a play, uh, like a line drive play right at him, his instincts were pretty good. He he had a couple highlight plays, and when he had a little more time, he he screwed things up a little more. So I don't know. I think I, I think he'll probably factor as a negative defender, but the mm. fact that he can play four positions, maybe you know, even if something horrible happens and he had to play shortstop in extra innings, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. I mean, he's more uh, valuable for his versatility than what we're actually going to get from him defensively. So is second base his best defensive position, in your opinion? It's the one he's most comfortable in. I, I, I think the best play I saw him have in the minors all year was uh, starting a 3-6-3 double play in like his third or fourth game at first base. And that, that definitely made me wonder what that would look like long-term, but um, I'm certainly not hoping he's the Cubs first base in the future. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, yeah. If, if we, if we get to that point, we might have some other issues to address. You know, those are the guys we've obviously seen the impact. So I want to transition to a couple other guys. Brian sent us over, you know, kind of his rough top 25 here. And I think we're going to focus on some of these uh, top five names, you know, near, near the list here. And the the first kind of similar on that second base path, I think it's a good transition to talk about Nico. And, and I think we've certainly talked about Nico Horner on this podcast before. I think even if you are kind of just a casual observer of the Cubs system, Nico's probably, you know, if you only know a couple names, I would say that's probably one of them. Uh, but I think his development, you know, he's recently back from that injury, uh, kind of gets right back after it, you know, showing his hit tool pretty much immediately when he gets back on the field. But I think his, the, the topic of conversation around him is already starting to, and I, and I think it's likely to only continue to heat up when you're looking at a team that kind of isn't getting that production from one of the middle infield spots. And I think, obviously, it's a quick trajectory, but the the easiest question to ask here, Brian, is, is Nico someone that can be an impact player for the team right now. I think you have a lot of people asking what the Cubs should be doing at second base, where we're hearing, you know, the the trade rumors start, and we, we heard both Theo and Jed talk about position player depth being kind of one of the, the key areas that they need to and that they can address as we go uh, over the next few weeks here to the trade deadline. And, you know, we, we've all seen Ian Happ before. We know that it's been kind of an up and down uh, trip down to the minors for him, though he's in the middle of a really nice hot stretch. And so I think Nico's maybe one of those other names where if people are reluctant to look outside of the Chicago Cubs organization, he's going to be one of those names that people wonder, can he do that? Uh, so I guess that's the question, or is it just too early and is that too fast of a progression for someone that you obviously have big plans for in the future? Well, the fun thing about us doing the pod now is that yesterday on Monday was literally his first ever game playing second base outside of Arizona. Well, that's how we plan uh, it. Yeah, right. It was the pod was 4 months in the making. Of course, we were just yeah. waiting for Nico to play second <laughs> well, base. Well, that's why we delayed it so long, yeah. <laughs> um and so I think that tells you that the Cubs at least in the back of their minds are open to that possibility. He hasn't he's played so little this year that it's going to be on him if he if he starts going like crazy. They're not going to – I don't think they'll hold him back. I don't think they're that worried about stunting his development. He doesn't seem to be that type of kid. Um, but I also think that the overwhelming likelihood is that, you know, this was a guy who wasn't the best hitter in the Pac-10 14 months ago or Pac-12, whatever we call it now. Um, <laughs> it always and, changes. <laughs> right. It'll be Pac-20 soon enough. Um, <laughs> but – Asking him to be ready for the majors after 75 minor league games or something is crazy, but this has kind of been a crazy season, and you just never know what happens. So I, I don't think I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility, but my guess is that he's probably in double-A until September. He probably goes up to Iowa to play uh, in the playoffs for the Iowa Cubs. I know a lot of teams like to do that with prospects is get them into a, get them into a playoff atmosphere, and then 
who knows? Maybe maybe we get into mid-September and they want that pinch runner, and he's probably one of the fastest guys in the system, so mm-hmm. he'd be a good fit there. Um, but I my guess is we probably don't see him until May or June of next year. So for Nico's power, when he was with Stanford, it, it, it didn't appear as if he was going to be a guy who's going to slug a lot. But in his time with the Cubs, surprisingly, I think he's going gap to gap more this season in limited time and only 86 plate appearances. He has two home runs, but he's just showing more pop than at least I expected. Was there any change that he made since being drafted uh, that he's made with the Cubs to have more power? Or is this just kind of his natural progression, you think, you know, getting bigger, getting more comfortable as a professional or am I just reading too much into his power? No, I think I think you're right. I mean, it's crazy. He's played something like 40, 45 games with the Cubs, and he already has more home runs in the Cubs system than right. he had in three years at Stanford. Yeah. Um, Stanford's known as a place that, that really messes with swings and, and does not um, encourage the loft angle movement. And so I think the Cubs, it was probably a pretty easy transition of just trying to trying to get him to – get the ball a little more in front of him, keep his, keep his bat um, in the zone a little longer and just um, let his natural strength. He's a really strong guy. So it should come for him. I, I don't think, you know, we're looking at 30 home runs, but he should be a guy that hits, that is able to hit 15, 20 home runs. I would think any particular player comps. I've seen a few compare him to Whit Merrifield, just in terms of that speed that contact some moderate power and of course the second base position is that a fair comparison or are you thinking of someone else or what do you got yeah that's a good one i i mean i think if you think he's going to hit for power i mean remember those good aaron hill seasons he's he's sort of similarly built to aaron hill um yeah that's a good one but yeah i mean I think Merrifield's not a bad example. He's probably stronger than Merrifield. He's he hasn't stolen as much, even though he's pretty quick. I I kind of wish the Cubs would have him just try to steal more bases because um, when he had that inside the park home run earlier in the season, it was it was a speed that is elite. I mean, at that that time is probably a seventy seventy five grade on the twenty to eighty scale, wow. but he doesn't he doesn't really steal bases, so you kind of have to knock him down a little bit. Wow. So in terms of his best attribute, right, uh, his hit tool, power, speed, defense, where in particular would you rate his overall hit tool on an, on an 80 scale? Keep all your entertainment options centered with Xfinity X1. Access live TV, Netflix, and now Hulu and Peacock. Ah, streaming zen. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Xfinity X1 gives you the most complete entertainment experience with everything from live TV to your DVR to on-demand favorites and your streaming apps. Just use your voice remote to easily find what you want to watch. Go online or call 1-800-XFINITY today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Netflix, Hulu, and Peacock memberships required. The following is a true story. I had a lady that was in her mid-70s, and I'd sold her timeshare, and that was the lowest I'd ever felt in my life. I knew then that I had to do something to simply not to go to hell for selling timeshare. Chuck McDowell founded Wesley Financial Group to help folks cancel their timeshares permanently. Called her and everybody that I'd sold timeshare to, and I said, this is what I said to you that was a lie, and this is what you need to do to cancel your timeshare. From that point, people started referring friends to me to help them cancel the timeshare, and that's how it all started. I fought the world's largest timeshare company in federal court. If I had lost that lawsuit, there would be no one helping people that have been lied to when they bought timeshare. If we take you as a client, we will cancel your timeshare or we'll give your money back. That's what makes us different. Call Wesley Financial Group now for a free information kit. 800-885-4884. That's 800-885-4884. 800-885-4884. I think that he's probably about, I think you'd project him to be a 60 if you're being sort of cautious. I, th- I think that's his best tool. I think we're kind of hoping that he's the leadoff guy of the future. Somebody mm-hmm. who can, somebody who can hit 300, you know, walk a bunch of times, have that 380 or so on base. I, mean, I think part of the reason that, Cubs fans have already endeared themselves so much to him is that he could be 
he could fill that guy we've been looking for since Dex left. And, um, and you know, everybody's so convinced that if you find a leadoff hitter, the lineup suddenly gets better. And right. <laughs> if, if that's the case, then, um, Nico might be the guy that saves everything. So that's, uh, that's the hope is, is that he's better than 60. If that he's, you know, 65 or 70, but that's, that's asking an awful lot. All right. So I, I want to move to a name and this, you know, I guess you guys could correct me if I'm wrong here, but again, coming from, you know, the, the perspective of a, a kind of casual observer, a, a name that seems to have exploded here, uh, that I, I don't know how many, uh, you know, major league Cubs fans are, aware of this guy yet but but uh, correct me if I'm wrong it seems to be the name that has moved the quickest up the list and and finds itself kind of at the at the highest point here and that is Brennan Davis someone drafted in 2018 he's only 19 years old uh and I I'm looking at his baseball reference page here and I notice and and you know maybe you guys can help me here but for some reason his his birthday is November 2nd and that that date just sticks out to me for some for some reason uh, a guy on the Cubs November 2nd I know they're playing the All-Star game in Cleveland it's like rushing to me it's on the tip of my tongue um that's right that's the date the Cubs won the World Series in 2016 there it is um so Brian, tell me tell me about Brendan Davis, a 19 year old kid. Uh, but when you shot over your prospect list to us, he is firmly at number two behind Nico. And when I look around at you know like like the guys like Todd and Greg at Cubs Insider, they're talking about him. You're talking about him. He, he just appears to be that name. Uh, that you know maybe wasn't on people's radar before, but it it sure seems like it it should be now. Yeah, I've been telling people if you read a prospect list that doesn't have Brendan Davis in the top 100, then you should no longer trust that as your source because um, wow. well, what he's doing is crazy. I when he got drafted last year, you know, I I opened up his scouting videos. I'd never seen or heard of him before, and I couldn't believe that the Cubs were going to give you know more than a million dollars to a guy with his swing. It was such an awful swing. I can't even tell you. Um, wow. And he was, he's 6'4", and he was probably 160 pounds then. Um, and I thought, this is going to take years for him to, to have any offensive success. And then uh, fast forward to January, and some videos come out, and he's added 30 pounds, it looks like. His swing's different. And then I saw him in March. Um, Riley Thompson was having an awesome start against a bunch of the a ball guys for the Cubs. And the only guy that I think got a hit against Riley Thompson was Brendan Davis, who hit uh, the right field fence on the fly, had a triple at the end of that game. And he's the amount of distance he's covered developmentally in under a year is just something you don't see very often. And now you can see what that scout was dreaming on. And it's, and it's just a ceiling that the Cubs probably haven't had in the system since Eloy. Wow. Any expected timeline that you can consider realistic for Davis? He's going through the system fast this year. Uh, depending on how advanced the Cubs think he is, is double A early on in 2020 a realistic shot? Or what are we looking at here for an expected timeline? Yeah, I don't think so. I think he's he's in low A now in South Bend, and he'll probably finish the year there. And I think with a kid coming out of high school that still has a long way to go. I think he's just going to be a one level a year guy. So you're Mm -hmm. just hoping you're hoping Myrtle beach in 2020, Tennessee in 2021. And then, and then hopefully the Iowa to Chicago transition goes a little quicker in that 2022 range. Got it. So the one name that came to mind, and I think I'm crazy here, but it is, it's still sticking with me is he reminds me of like Michael Morris in that he has a low follow-through for a big guy. His arms are kind of outstretched. And I know a lot of guys will cringe when they think of Michael Morris because his career was not as elaborate as one would want from an upcoming prospect. But any other player comparisons, and you know we like to do this player comparison game just because it gives you know listeners and a lot of fans a visual of what kind of to expect. But for me, that was my first reaction was, huh, that low follow-through for a big guy reminds me a lot of Michael Morse. I'm cringing. 
I can tell I'm you. So, I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. Someone has to cringe. Yeah. Um, I think just a lot will depend on his body development. I mean, he's probably added 20, 25 pounds of muscle. He's probably, you know, he's probably six four, one ninety now. But will he get to? Will he get to like two ten or will he get to like two thirty? I mean, if he, you know, if he gets to two thirty, he probably has Derek Lee's body type, Ooh, and then I like that. You know, maybe you could dream on something like that offensively. If he, if he, if he doesn't get that big, if he stays a little skinnier than than a player like Sean Green was, mm. uh, kind of jumps out. Sean Green, of course, was a left-handed hitter, and I hate making comparisons when guys aren't sort of hitting from the same side. But it, it's that kind of just. Um, easy power and could probably steal a bunch of bases even though that won't be the main part of his game um that sort of reminds me of that type of guy all right so let's move to i think a couple names that you know we've we found at the top of the list and as we get to the trade deadline here i i do want to start to get your feelings brian on you know names you are maybe considering aren't going to be there in a month and you know maybe names that you are scared are going to come up in 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 some of these talks and you know maybe the these aren't the right guys but when i look at you know two names uh like Miguel Amaya and Braylon Marquez they they seem to stick out as names I'm hearing when I read these articles and you you know you go to MLB trade rumors and stuff or when you're just talking to people putting these made up hypothetical trades together I I feel like that's kind of the territory I I end up seeing a lot so uh the, these guys again at the top of your list and so just tell us a little bit about uh, Amaya and Marquez their development so far and, you know, are they guys that you are coveting, you know, like protecting at all costs as we as we go over the next month here? Do you expect that their name is going to come up in some of these conversations? Where are you, you know, kind of uh, as, as someone watching all of this and I think, you know, maybe growing perhaps a little more uh, attached to some of these guys and, and their development as we head to the trade deadline here who, who are you know some names that you're maybe a little scared you're you're going to see come across that ticker that you know the Cubs are, are moving for somebody else yeah the thing about those two guys Miguel Amaya and Braylon Marquez is um the bummer about trading them now is that they'd probably be valued as you know guys at the at the very end of a top 100 list. Um, kind of like Amaya an Isaac Paredes a... type thing where they traded him for uh, Justin Wilson. Was it two years ago now? Yeah, I mean, I think of, you know, maybe even Dylan Cease when he got when he was in mm-hmm. the the Quintana trade. I mean, Marquez is, is in a really similar spot. I think they both, you know, Cease had made 13 starts in South Bend. I think Marquez has made 13 in South Bend. So they could be valued pretty similarly. The reason that I would be bummed about them getting traded now is i just feel like there's more their value will be higher in a year i think that there's a good chance that that either one of them or both of them blossoms into top 50 top 30 prospects and then and then your return if you ended up trading them could be could be much higher so it would would seem to me to just be selling a little early i mean marquez hit 101 on the gun in his last outing he he probably He's probably the second hardest throwing lefty on the planet. <laughs> so does that mean that he eventually is destined to a bullpen slot? What about his secondary pitches? What is he showing? What is he developing? And what's the likelihood that he can go through the system as a starter? Yeah, they're trying hard. I and mean, when you watch him, it, it it's kind of annoying because he throws a lot of secondary stuff. It's just like, they're not letting him let the fastball eat as much as you want him to. You you just keep watching and saying, throw it again, you know, throw throw the four seam again, and he and it doesn't happen. They, I think they're deliberately making him throw that stuff and really seeing if he can come along as a starter. But it's going to be very tempting to get him to the bullpen quickly. I you know I think I have his numbers right here. He's got a 4.43 OPS allowed against left-handed hitters, and it's 8.70 against righties. So that just mm-hmm. you know that's another number that would just suggest that he's that he could be that sort of elite uh, lefty reliever. But he's also he's a kid who. Um, just really started having success last year and he's got a long way to go and he's got the body type of a of a starting pitcher so 
um, you might as well keep him there for a, a little while longer and see what happens. But yeah, that would be, that'd be a bummer to trade him now. And then in a year, um, he's a top five, eight pitching prospect and everybody would, uh, be talking about how Theo, you know, made the mistake trading the prospect again, (laughs) even though we were all calling for it now. So it's, it's just sort of how it goes, I guess. Miguel Maya right now, he is batting 221. But his walk rate and strike rate are incredibly appealing. So he's walking at a 13% clip, and he's striking now under 20% of the time with seven homers in 261 plate appearances. He's a catcher too, right? And he's been graded pretty favorably for his defense. But at least in his short term with the Cubs and in, in, in his minor league stints, the batting average necessarily has not been there. But the strikeout rate, the power, that suggests some of the hit tool, the natural instincts are there. Where do you see him as an offensive player? Is this some guy who's just going to you know, walk a lot, hit for power, and not be that quote-unquote high Babbitt guy? And in, in addition to that, defensively as a catcher, how do you rate him defensively from framing, from you know his pop time to second base, etc.? Yeah, so he's in Myrtle Beach right now, the high A team, and... Um, that's one of the hardest minor league stadiums to hit in across the, across the country. It, it's, uh, right next to the ocean and you get that wind coming mm-hmm. from the ocean and, um, and it's pretty tough, but, and so even though he's got a OPS just over 700, he has a WRC plus 10% above league average. And the crazy, the craziest stat of all probably is, He's had 261 plate appearances, and just two of them have been against players younger than him. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> so, that and, is wild. And for the for the record, he walked in both of those plate appearances. So he, um, yeah, he's he's just so young, and to be doing that as a catcher, I mean, that's it's very rare for somebody to be um, catching in the Carolina League at, at his age. So to ha- to be above league average as a hitter. I think speaks really highly when I see him. I really think that he could blossom into being at the top of um, the home run among catchers list one day. I could definitely see him being a 25 home run guy, Um, but we're going to not see that this year in Myrtle beach. So you're just dreaming that it happens in Tennessee next year when he gets to the juiced baseball in Iowa the year after that. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know. I, that's another guy that you that if you trade now and you value him as a number one hundred prospect, if he's a number twenty five prospect in a year and he's got fifteen home runs at the break, you're going to be kicking yourself. You know, maybe this is a, a silly question, but just given that he's a catcher, obviously he's only twenty years old, and you know you've kind of gone on that. You know, this may be a, a pretty you know year by year progression for him. Again, as we head toward the deadline and, and the Cubs are kind of looking around for what to do, does his being a catcher with Wilson Contreras in this organization, does that factor in at all? Or is Amaya, you know, too far down the line where you're, you know, letting him do his thing and the fact that, you know, you have a young catcher who's kind of cemented himself in that job at the major league level doesn't really factor in yet? Yeah, I'd be curious what you guys think. I mean, do you guys would you guys want to pay Wilson Contreras's contract after his team control runs out when he, you know, then you're paying him into his mid thirties. Is that, is that a contract that you guys are hoping for? Man, on the spot. All right. Uh, honestly, I don't know. I don't know. I'm always concerned, especially how the Cubs have been using Contreras the last two years now about how well he ages. He's catching way more innings than your typical catcher. And the bat right now is hot, and you want to protect that bat. I would like to see at some point, and I think we may be seeing it in the second half, Contreras get some spots in left field and right field and see if he can become a a more versatile type player. We saw that a little bit in 2016. But the bat that Contreras has developed into, it's it's appealing, right? So I think the conversation to extend him regardless of whether or not Amaya is still in the system, it, they're, they're justifiable. Whether that means they're going to keep him at catcher, we know some of the inconsistencies with his framing might be an issue, but he still has a great arm. I don't know. I don't know if I'm, if I'm at the point where you want to extend him, but 
having his bat in the lineup consistently, even if he's not your catcher by 32-33, there's still some appealing traits that he can bring beyond just a catcher position. Yeah, I think I think Wilson certainly earned, you know, I don't think Miguel Amaya should factor into the decision about what to do with Wilson Contreras. I think the Cubs' projection of Wilson by himself in a vacuum probably should weigh a lot uh, heavier. And if they decide to just let his team control years play out or maybe extend him just one or two years beyond that or something, that, that'd be great. Maybe Miguel could fit in. If not, then he wouldn't. But I don't think it's a situation of like, you know, Dan Vogelbach's hitting a bunch in Iowa, but Anthony Rizzo, who's just started his sort of team controls in the major leagues, this isn't quite that situation where we right. actually kind of have a timeline that's that actually could work out. I mean, maybe you break Amaya in almost like Wilson broke in um, in 2016, and, and then when Wilson leaves, Amaya takes over. Or, yeah, maybe we get another year along, and you just think Wilson's going to be here, Amaya is blocked, and you trade him then. I don't know. Fair enough. So I, I do want to continue kind of talking about uh, pitching and, and just the overall state of, of pitching and pitching development in this system. I, I think obviously, especially in the early portion of this season, uh, you saw kind of, you know, I guess one of the consequences of, of the Cubs' lack of pitching development, something that is, you know, often written about and talked about and uh, gone over ad nauseum, you know, in the various publications over the years here. Um, you know, but with the bullpen early in the year, you know, you kind of are, are looking at it saying, man, I, I really wish we were able to inject some young, maybe hard-throwing guys that we developed rather than, you know, kind of putting together this ragtag group of minor league options and spring training invites and, and whatever they were doing in the beginning there. Do you think that the organization as a whole has made strides in the pitching department uh, so far in 2019? And, you know, I guess, again, kind of from the casual sense, should fans be encouraged by where the state of, of pitching is relative to maybe years past? Or are we still kind of looking around going, what, what, are, what are we really doing here? What, what's kind of the, your, your feeling on pitching in, in the you know, deeper levels of this organization? I think that it's definitely gotten better. I think that I think where you would be happy is that the depth is there and that you just hope that if you have 15 uh, arms that classify as prospects that you're going to be able to develop two or three of those into major leaguers. And I think that's sort of more where we're at than, you know, outside of Elzelai, you don't have a guy who you're just like, that's definitely somebody who's going to have major league success. I, I, I'd love to say that, that there's somebody, but... I feel like, you know, I would have thought Dylan Maples a year and a half ago when he when he just began that ascent in I guess it was 2017. I was you saw him and you were like that's there he's he can't miss and then just the control yeah. just never never improved and so it's hard it's hard to see if anybody's really going to break through but there are enough names that you think that somebody must somebody will What's up with Brendan Little, right? So the Cubs, they 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 flipped the script a little bit and went pitching in their top few picks for the first time we've seen in, in recent years. But it looks as if Little has not progressed at a pace that's honestly kind of acceptable for a top-around pick. What's going on there? I think that we would be a lot better off if in that draft in hindsight um... – Corey Abbott and Keegan Thompson were drafted first and Alex Lang and Brendan Little were drafted third and fourth because I think that Lang and Little are just they they provide so much angst to the fan base because it's just like that was a time where we started to realize wow they aren't developing pitchers and now they just drafted two pitchers in the first round (laughs) and they both kind of stink and now we're you know we're just fully panicking and and Little's kind of the embodiment of that but um, you know, he, apparently he looked really good in Arizona rehabbing from a lat injury this spring. He's probably long-term going to end up in the bullpen and, and he could do something there, but yeah, I, I think that first round pedigree really hurts him just because everybody's 
everybody uses him as an example why Jason McLeod hasn't drafted well enough. So and it goes back to the point, too, and Corey and I have discussed this exhaustively over the past year now with the Cubs pitching development, but it seems as if they're still you know, grasping at a, an organizational theme of how to develop their pitchers. And kind of the hallmark was early in those mid-2010s, you know, draft college pitchers, draft a lot of them, see who works out, and get them to the league really fast. But we're kind of seeing a little bit of a different approach now where they're taking more of a high risk. And that's what Jason McLeod was talking about at you know the Cubs convention, for example. Is one particular philosophy, and it seems like these are like extreme philosophies where you only go college pitchers and you only go you know high risk guys. But in your opinion, with the way the Cubs have been developing pitchers within just the last year or two, is there a noticeable shift in what they're doing philosophically? And is there any particular worry or angst that you have right now in that they are shifting some of their uh, philosophy? What's your state of how the Cubs have developed pitchers, how they're going to continue to develop pitchers right now? And as someone, for me, that does have a lot of angst over their lack of pitching development, how do you feel about this? I think that they, I think they've definitely changed significantly in the last couple of years. I, I know Tyson Miller's talked about Tyson Miller's probably the biggest breakout pitching prospect they've had on, on the farm this year. Yeah, you've been tweeting about, about Tyson how, Miller a lot. Yeah, I, I, I know Tyson's been uh, Tyson's been a, a big uh, joy this year, and <laughs> and what he says is a big reason for his success is they've provided him in Double A with a ton more scouting reports, a lot more numbers about his pitch tendencies and situations. And it's allowed him to vary up his sequencing a lot more. And now they're using a lot, um, a lot more numbers to show him what his pitches are doing and, you know, sort of bring that pitch lab in Arizona to every minor league affiliate and show guys how their pitches are, are working on each day. And, um, they've, that infrastructure has really come a long way, and, and you hear it among the pitchers in the system a lot. They they talk about how much more information they have than they used to, and I think that's I think that's great. I think I think it'll help the low upside arms that they drafted for for a few years, and and I think it'll really help some of the high upside arms that they've drafted the last couple. I think I think that we're really early in saying that that Theo and and Jason can't draft pitchers I think you know I mean they some of the pitchers they drafted in the second and third drafts they they had there are just coming are sort of blossoming right now and so I think we got to give it time I think you know maybe maybe in five six years you know Jason McLeod will be long gone to another organization and we'll start to have some pitchers show up and we'll say wow he he actually knew what he was doing after all (laughs) so if you had to name your top let's say five pitchers right now. It might be kind of difficult, you know, number three, number four, number five, but top five pitchers right now, who you naming? Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, well, I, I, I'll throw out Elzelai because he, because we've already seen what he's doing and, uh, and, and Braylon Marquez, we already talked about, but his, the upside on his arm is ridiculous. I, I've, I mentioned Tyson Miller. He's somebody who's not going to be a future ace, but you know the Cubs have a fifth starter job that they don't know what they're doing with next year. And if you told me in the second half next year Tyson Miller's the fifth starter, I wouldn't be totally shocked. He's a wow. he's an innings he's an innings eater. He's a guy that that grinds through a start, and he uh, he sort of uses that high spin pitch tunneling. Um, that he, that's sort of how he succeeds. He's not he doesn't have the raw stuff of of a lot of guys, but he he knows how to he knows how to outthink a hitter. Um, going past him, Corey Abbott is is well is in Double A as well. He's had a lot of success. He could also be a guy that comes and gets to the back end of a rotation. Um, and then if you're going a little further down, you're getting Keegan Thompson. Another, I mean, I, I feel bad. I keep saying back into rotation, but that's sort of what the Cubs have is they just have a lot of guys who that's what they're projecting to. And if you want to go high upside, you're looking down in the lower minors to guys who haven't pitched very much like Giovanni Cruz or Richard mm-hmm. Gallardo. And, um, but 
in terms of guys at high A or double A that we might see in the majors soon, it tends to be guys who are you're hoping for a team with championship ambitions is just the fifth starter or a guy like Dakota Mekis in triple A who is a reliever that that I think really could contribute to the bullpen next year, but he's not going to be a guy who pitches in the eighth or ninth inning. He's a guy that's going to pitch in the fifth or sixth. Any lost hope in uh, Jose Alberto's? I know he's been struggling. He was a guy several years ago that was on top of many even scouting uh, Cubs pitching lists, but you look at right now and he just can't command his pitches, his walk rate, in, in A ball is over eight batters per nine innings. It's been a consistent issue with him. I know he's had some arm issues as well. Is the time past uh, looking at Alberto's as someone who can lead the Cubs pitching prospect list? Keep all your entertainment options centered with Xfinity X1. Access live TV, Netflix, and now Hulu and Peacock. Ah, streaming zen. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Xfinity X1 gives you the most complete entertainment experience with everything from live TV to your DVR to on-demand favorites and your streaming apps. Just use your voice remote to easily find what you want to watch. Go online or call 1-800-XFINITY today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Netflix, Hulu, and Peacock memberships required. Yeah, I think I think it has. I, I he's got the he's got the arm to be a really good pitcher, but I think projecting him to make it to the major leagues right now is just it's just asking too much. Let's just let's let's just hope that he can throw strikes for 40, 50 innings in the minor leagues and then we can start to dream again almost like Dylan Maples, right? Dylan right. Maples is a guy that we that the Cubs gave a million dollars to out of high school and it looked like they were going to release him and one pitching prospect said or one pitching coach excuse me said uh, let me try something with him and all of a sudden he's in triple a knocking on the door and that might be what you see with albertos is just we're hoping that at one point something clicks and all of a sudden he's a reliever so, Brian, I, I want to finish here with, you know, maybe just, a, you know, getting back to like a couple broad questions, I suppose. And, you know, maybe they've come up over the course of this podcast, but, are, are you know, is there one name, a couple names that you would look at and say, if you don't pay attention to the Cubs system, you know, maybe not for right now, maybe not even for a, a few years here, but this is a name you need to learn. You need to learn it now because down the road, you're going to start seeing it on these lists and you're going to remember, hey, you know, that guy Brian from Bleacher Nation said you got to pay attention to this guy. Who Who's a name like that or who are a couple names like that? Yeah, a guy I'm, I'm excited about right now is this guy, the third baseman in South Bend right now. His name's Christopher Morell. Mm-hmm. And in his last 40 games, he's hitting like 330. Um, he struggled a ton in 2018. He started in Eugene and was so bad, they sent him back to Arizona. But he's really talented. He's probably, this this system doesn't have a lot of quick twitch, sort of, you know, Javi Baez-like guys. And he's sort of the one guy that you can kind of see underneath that umbrella where he just he thinks one step ahead of everybody on the field, but he's also constantly making mistakes and, and looking ridiculous as well. But when the, when the bat hits, when the bat hits the ball, it's, it's pretty fun what tends to happen. So he's a guy that, that you never know if he walks a little more or if, if his instincts just keep outpacing the, the pitchers he's facing, he could be somebody down the line that does some, does some pretty special things. But you know, I think for the casual observer, I think you just want to you. I think it's a lot of fun to dream on what Brennan Davis or Cole Roeder, another outfielder in, in South Bend could be. I think those are the the highest upside guys in the system. And um, I think there's a good chance that, you know, at least one of them turns out to be a, a pretty big deal. Any concern about uh, Roeder's numbers right now? So as it stands, he's betting 219. He's got a weighted on base average, uh, 304, WRC plus 89, uh, and his uh, strikeout rate is 26%. He's only 19 years old. Any concerns with his performance, or is this just the nature of young guys going through the system at that level? Yeah, I'm not really concerned. I think that the Cubs showed a lot of confidence in starting him in South Bend. Usually what they do is they let the they let April pass and they keep the guy in Arizona. 
and then they bring him when the weather warms up and Cole had such an impressive spring training that they thought really for the first time for a prospect in like 12 or 15 years a high schooler going right to the Midwest League they decided to challenge him and yeah he struggled a lot he's just he was not used to playing baseball in 40 degrees he's a Southern California (laughs) boy um so we'll see I I, I think it's too early to be worried. I think he's he's starting to do a little better. He had a nice June. He had a he had a cycle at the end of June that really helped uh, bring his numbers up a little bit. But I think at the end of the year, I'm hoping that his WRC plus is a little closer to 100, maybe a little above it, and then I think he'd be on a fine trajectory to to sort of be what we're all hoping he will be. So with this recent Cubs draft, uh, for example, they picked. Uh... Uh, Jensen with their first pick. They followed up with Strumpf with their second pick, bat out of UCLA. What are we looking at with those top two picks, in particular with Jensen being that pitcher? Um, Some have reported that he doesn't have the type of easy, free delivery to stick as a starter. He's more likely destined to the pen, as some have suggested, but I'm curious about your thoughts on Jensen and then, of course, with Strumpf as well. I've loved a lot the last two years when we watch the draft and the Cubs pick a guy that other outlets don't even have in the top 100 and everybody freaks out and says, what the hell are the Cubs doing? And then, you know, Nico Horner looks pretty good now. And so I thought with Jensen, I he wasn't a guy that I had any idea who he was before the Cubs drafted him, but I watched a couple of his starts and I was really impressed. He's a, He's got a... He's got a great arm. He's a short kid. Um, he does not look like a traditional starter, but he's throwing 98 with ridiculous movement. Wow. And um, I think I think there's a really good chance that he is a diamond in the rough and, and that that was a really nice scouting job, especially getting him under slot so you could draft a couple of guys above slot in the middle rounds. All right, so so Brian, maybe maybe just one more question for you here, and I and I kind of brought this idea up when we were talking about Marquez and Amaya specifically, but as we head toward the trade deadline here, give me one name and one name only that you desperately do not want to see in those reports. The Cubs have acquired, you know, fill in blank position player here for blank who is the one name in this system that you absolutely do not want them to move under any circumstances brennan davis i i think that i think he has the highest chance of being a top 10 prospect before he reaches the major leagues and to trade him now would be a mistake that is a, a a pretty definitive answer. That was quick and definitive. Exactly what I was hoping for here. So before we let you go, obviously in a second here, we'll have you tell everybody where to find you and, and your work. But do you, do you have like a brief, you know, since we've spent this this hour here talking about the minor league system, do you, do you have like kind of a brief sentiment on what's going on at the major league level? Are you, are you optimistic as we get ready to start the second half here in a few days? Pessimistic? Have you just, you know, I'm going to focus on these minor league guys and, and let the Cubs kind of figure out whatever it is they're doing up here where where do you land on 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 the big league boys here yeah I mean I live in East Lakeview I get I have uh, season tickets in section 320r so you know as much as I write about the minor leagues I'm I'm right in the stands you know screaming at um, men left on base just like everybody else <laughs> um, I think if it was me, I, I'm not as into the idea of acquiring uh, high-end players as much. I thought what they did at the deadline last year, even though it didn't work out, was was great, right? I, I mean, Jesse Chavez and, and Cole Hamels, especially at the cost for the system, was was a perfect way to do it, I think. You know, we look back at, at Jose Quintana instead of Justin Verlander. I know there were a lot of fact, other factors at the time, but but you know, sometimes getting that, that second rung name at a lower cost just tends to be the better route. And that's how I feel about this team. I don't think this team necessarily needs a high end trade guy to win the division. I think they just need to play better. (laughs) Um, and I, and I think they're capable of it. I, I, I thought in mid May that this was the best cub team that I'd seen since 2016. And 
obviously sentiment has changed a little bit since then, but heck, they're still in first place. You never know. Fair enough. I mean, we're we're all trying to figure out exactly how to to feel about that too. So uh, I, I think that's a, a a fair way to look at it. And honestly, I, I I do think that that's kind of the route we probably end up going. I, I think a similar uh, approach to last year, where you're trying to add that talent, but maybe not uh, pushing all the chips in, might might be what we see. But Brian. Uh, this has been a fun discussion. I think it was cool to delve into these topics, and you know, we we bring up a lot of these names on the podcast uh, either because they're they're coming up in trade talks or because they're coming up in in just their performance. And you know, the questions abound as to whether they can can help the major league team. So I think it was good to be able to delve into this uh, a, a little deeper and, and get into the specifics with some of these guys. But tell our listeners uh, where they can find you, social media. Obviously, we mentioned Bleacher Nation, but uh, you know, give us give us the sell here. Sure, I'm at I'm at Twitter on Cub at Cubs Cub Prospects Cub Singular Prospects. Uh, <laughs> And I'm at Bleacher Nation. Uh, it's July, so Brett's having his blogathon fundraiser. So, um, you know, any support that you guys could give Brett in that, I think, would be really appreciated. And yeah, um, looking forward to the second half and listening to you guys uh, start to have your moods improved. Well, hopefully. And I, I got to say, too, when Brian first started tweeting, and he thrown out all this material and content, I'm like, wow, like who, who, who is this guy? Brian does phenomenal stuff. So if you're not familiar with what he does, go please do yourself a favor. Give give him a follow. Again, at, Cubs Prospe- at Cub Singular, Cub Prospects. And you're going to learn a lot about the system. I've already learned so much in this last first half of the year, not just about the guys in the top five or top ten, but those lower level guys, like even like Chris Morrell, for example, and the trajectory he's been on. So he uh, Brian knows a lot about this. So again, do yourself a favor, give him a follow, and you're going to learn a lot about the Cubs minor league system. My only goal is to win Corey over by 2020. <laughs> hey, you got me, man. I mean, I'm following along. I, I, I told you. I, I've learned a lot from, from following along and uh, very appreciative. I think, you know, sometimes with uh, – some of the prospect guys all over the the major leagues, I think it's hard to have an easy discourse with with some of the writers and you know big prospect guys. I think uh, you know sometimes they're a little set in their ways and uh, you know, just not as easy to converse with. So I think the way that you go about things on Twitter has been very helpful. Uh, I look forward to those performers of the day every day. And, you know, that's kind of where we're gauging, you know, like I said at the beginning, you know, some of these names, I just continue to see and see and see. That's definitely one of the places I am seeing them. So I, I would say you've won me over, but there's definitely just a threshold of, prospect coverage and and talk that I I doubt I'm going to exceed again in in this lifetime but we'll see you know you you never know uh we, we all need goals I guess so uh but that I think is is all we have for you so uh that was a minor league special edition of the Cubs related podcast and as we've talked about before uh you know kind of when we did that Craig Kimbrell one the first time I think this is uh you know something Brendan and I may look to do going forward here where we have the opportunity to get on here when when we're not doing anything and and you know maybe we can have a a guest to to give us some insight throw that out there and you know we're still going to do the regular two episodes every week before and after every Cubs series that they play uh but this does allow us to kind of delve into things that we otherwise uh you know just don't really have time for on the regular episodes so give us some feedback uh you know if you guys liked this kind of extra content and us being able to jump into other things and and branch out a little bit let us know uh, and then we will certainly you know obviously make it a priority to do more often going forward, but I, I think especially with the minor league system, uh, you know, we, we'll we'll definitely make it a priority to check in regularly uh, if you guys are receptive to the, this kind of bonus content. But otherwise, we will come back to you one more time during this All Star break, and we will set the stage for the second half of the 2019 season. Uh, hopefully, setting the stage for the Cubs getting ready to win the NL Central and and get themselves back into the playoffs uh, in dominant fashion. I think that is the end 
ending that we are all hoping for here. Uh, but as you guys know, we will be here with you no matter what. So whatever the range of emotion Brendan and I need to occupy, we will certainly do that. Uh, but again, I, I, for my own health, guys, we, we need a different ending than 2018. It's just not good for Brendan and I on, on, a, on a physical and mental and emotional level. So uh, we will set the stage for that. We'll look back, you know, maybe at some some highlights of the first half, top performers, disappointments, etc. And then it will be time to kick this thing into gear. We are on a collision course with the trade deadline and the stretch run of this season in an NL Central that is very close. So stick with us. As always, we thank you guys for joining us here on the Cubs Related Podcast. We will talk to you again soon. And whether we are talking about the Cubs at the lower levels or the major leagues, go Cubs. Bet Saratoga this summer with Naira Bets, the official betting partner of Saratoga Racecourse. New customers that sign up today receive a bonus match on their first deposit up to $200 with promo code SPA. Go to nyrabets.com for details and sign up today. There's great news during the pandemic. The new Hypermax oxygen system is here. Doctor approved, clinically tested, at-home oxygen for improved health, fitness, and especially your immunity. Go to HypermaxOxygen.com. See how 300% more oxygen purity works wonders in only 15 short minutes. You're home anyway, so why not build your immunity and much more? HypermaxOxygen.com. That's HypermaxOxygen.com. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.